0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If
1: you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's
1: nothing you can't
2: ask
3: on the Savage Lovecast. I don't know about you, but I've been feeling a little touch and go over the last few weeks. So for my sanity, when I'm not doom-scrolling Twitter or breathing into a paper bag while I read the New York Times, I've been making time for a little exercise, some TV, a couple of good books. I'm going to recommend all three. In general, I recommend exercising, watching TV, reading books, but I've got some specific recommendations I'd like to share. First, my new exercise routine. Cardio, lifting, spin classes? No, no, and fuck no. Reservations. It works like this. Terry makes dinner reservations at some place a few miles from our house. And I walk to that restaurant, earbuds in, podcast on. Not my podcast. I'm not one of those sociopaths who listens to his own podcast. Now I'm walking, listening to Sway with Kara Swisher, the logbooks, The Secret Life of Canada, which I'm really enjoying, The Gist with Mike Pesca, which I'm really happy to have back. Then Terry drives. We meet at the restaurant for dinner. I eat whatever I want. I get a lift home. Reservations, my new workout routine, As for reading, right now I'm reading The Right to Sex, Feminism in the 21st Century by Amiya Shinovasan. It's fascinating. Ezra Klein interviewed Shinovasan on his podcast. Go check it out. Worth listening to. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about The Right to Sex here on my podcast and soon. I'm also reading Young, Damned, and Fair by Gareth Russell, which is about Catherine Howard, Henry VIII's fifth wife, the second beheaded in the old rhyme about Henry VIII's six wives. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Howard, the second beheaded. As for what I'm watching, I'm really almost embarrassed to say Young Royals on Netflix. Okay, if you've seen the trailer, it looks really trashy and stupid. It's about a group of students at an exclusive boarding school in Sweden, and one of the students happens to be a member of the Swedish royal family, and these are all, you know, rich kids. But it's really good. Not so bad, it's good sense of really good. I mean, good, smart, so much better than the marketing department at Netflix made it look. The acting is amazing, heartbreaking at times. Also, the actors, for a change in a high school drama, they look like high school students. If you've ever complained about the actors on Euphoria And Sex Education, or way back in the day, Glee looking like they're all 30 years old, because most of them aren't 30 years old, if that throws you, if that's made it hard for you to suspend your disbelief and get into those shows, well, nobody in Young Royals looks like they're 35. They look like high school students, which is great for the verisimilitude. And it makes it easier to believe these actors are the people they're pretending to be. And then along comes a hot and heavy makeout session between two of the characters and some very realistic depictions of first sexual experiences, awkward first sexual experiences. And you're like, uh, is it legal for me to be watching this in America? But young girls isn't purient and it isn't stupid. It isn't gossip girls set in a Swedish boarding school, the acting and writing and direction all amazing. And it'll take you back. If you're queer that time in your life, I think this is true whether you're gay or straight, but I think it's especially true if you're gay, that time in your life when a kiss from someone that you had a crush on was what you wanted most in the world and what you feared most in the world. Young Royals just got renewed for a second season. It's great, everyone's been sleeping on it. Go binge the first season now. And speaking of gay kids, the Don't Say Gay bill passed in Florida last week. Tim Miller from The Bulwark is our guest on this week's show, and we have a long conversation about Don't Say Gay later in the episode on the Magnum. But there's something I kind of wanted to say about this first. So we've been seeing books with queer characters and queer themes yanked from school libraries, and now these don't say gay bills, one passed in Florida, a new and worse one being proposed in Georgia and likely to pass. And it seems that these social conservatives, these Republican assholes, think they're going to drag us all back to the days when the only thing a gay could could find in a school about homosexuality was a very clinical definition in a dictionary. But I'm here to let y'all know that kids have phones in their pockets now that they carry around at school. Queer kids, gay kids, they're going to find what they need. Yeah, they can pass it, don't say gay bills. They can ban every book with queer themes. They can remove every novel or memoir by a queer author or any book featuring queer characters. But they're not, they're not going to bring back the days when a gay kid could grow up thinking he was the only one in the world or a lesbian kid, or a bisexual kid, or a trans kid, or a pan kid, or an asexual kid. We let all those cats out of all those bags and then we piled up those bags and we burned them. There's no going back. On a personal note, there were no gay books in my school when I was a kid growing up, and no teacher would talk about being gay or acknowledge the existence of queer people. But I was lucky enough to live in a big city and there were used bookstores all over town. And in them, I found James Baldwin, Giovanni's Room, and Gore Vidal, The City and the Pillar, and Matt Crowley, Boys in the Band, along with stacks of old After Dark magazines and copies of The Joy of Gay Sex. I bought the paperbacks that weren't too incriminating, like Giovanni's Room, read them at home. Other books, books I didn't want to get caught with, I read those in the bookstores that I returned to again and again. I knew when I was 12 that I wasn't the only boy like me out there in the world. I'd seen copies at that point of New York native. And when I was 14, I found a copy of Larry Kramer's Faggots in a bookstore. Couldn't take that one home. Read it sitting in the back of that bookstore, the same bookstore where I read Best Little Boy in the World by Andrew Tobias and Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown. I was lucky to live in a city and I will always be grateful, not just to the authors of all of these books, but to the people who worked in those bookstores where I found them. They let me sit and read for hours and then put those books back on the shelf. It wasn't that I didn't want to buy them and take them home. I couldn't buy them, most of them, and take them home. And not only did the employees at those bookstores let me sit there and read, they pretended not to notice what I was reading. I wish I could track them all down and thank each and every one of them personally. The culture used to work so hard to hide gay people and gay lives for me, a gay kid. I was in Catholic schools for fuck's sake. And yet I found my way to a book by James Baldwin, where I read this, love him and let him love you. Do you think anything else under heaven really matters? That was what I needed to read. There was no him in my life to love then, but I read that. And I knew that if, and when he came along, I would be able to love him. If they couldn't stop me from finding what I needed to read then in the 1970s, they won't be able to stop queer kids growing up today from finding what they need to read now. I mean, the idea that now, with every kid carrying the Library of Alexandria and the Library of Congress and every cat video ever made and every porn scene ever filmed around in their pockets with them, that you can somehow keep those kids from finding what they need to read or to see? <sighs> Kids in Florida schools, yeah, they may not be able to say gay. You can pass a law against that. And their teachers may not be able to say gay, but they can still type gay into a search engine. And some of what they find is going to make even the most conservative parent wish their kid had heard about gay from their teachers or from their teachers first, instead of hearing about it first from Pornhub. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your Q's, lots of my A's. And like I said, Tim Miller from The Bulwark is here to talk about The Don't Say Gay Bill that passed in Florida, what's in there, what's not in there, and what comes next. Also, I wanted to announce some new bonus content for our Magnum subs. Every now and again, I'm gonna put out a special podcast, a special interview with political folks I think are important and interesting that I wanna talk to. We're gonna call it Sex and Politics. You know, I'm a political junkie. And this way I can dig into some more newsy-oriented themes uh, and not get too much politics on my sex podcast. I hope you'll like it. The first one comes out this week. It's an interview with Amanda Marcotte from Salon about how the left has lost its status as the uh, party or movement that knows how to have fun. That will be available to my Magnum subscribers starting this week. Get yourself a Magnum subscription now or give one as a gift. Go to savage.love. All right, let's get to your questions.
0: Hi, this is a bisexual, non-binary person calling from Denmark. My question concerns squeezing of balls during sex. So, a person I am currently hooking up with once in a while requires ball squeezing, specifically having his balls squeezed, in order to orgasm. This is easy enough when I am performing oral sex on him, but... I would like to maybe have him penetrate my vagina sometime. And I am not sure how to do that while also squeezing his balls. So are there any toys for this? Any positions you recommend? I need your help, Dan.
3: There are toys for this. There are definitely toys for this. There's a particular kind of toy out there called a, kind of got a dramatic scary name called a ball crusher. Most ball crushers are a little too cumbersome, penetrative sex. They're not designed for having vaginal intercourse while someone is wearing one or anal intercourse while someone is wearing one. They're really designed for someone to be having their balls crushed while they're being jacked off. But there's an alternative called a ball stretcher, which is like a cock ring, but it just goes around your balls and they're different sort of sizes and shapes and lengths usually of silicone and you stretch them open and you pop the balls into them or all the way through them. And then you let the silicone tube close up and it squeezes and presses the balls all the way down to the bottom of the sack. And that may provide your buck buddy, your new friend with enough pressure, especially while he's having vaginal intercourse with you and his balls are kind of getting slapped around a little bit while he's wearing that ball stretcher and penetrating you vaginally for him to climax. So I would recommend checking out Oxballs. They're a really good company. They make high quality silicone toys. They have ball stretchers. They have ball squeezers. They have ball crushers. But I think what you're going to want are the ball stretchers of various sizes. I think they're exactly what you're looking for, and I'm sure they'll work for you and your friend.
4: Hey, Dan, 30-year-old pansexual uh, cis male living on the east coast of Canada I just had a, a quick question about, I guess this would be an etiquette question. Um, I just am getting home now from my very first threesome. And it was awesome. It was amazing. We got together. This couple had invited me over. They were, um, staying in the Airbnb. They're, you know, traveling from out of town. I had met the woman on field earlier and we'd sort of been chit-chatting for a little bit. And uh, so they invited me over um, when they were visiting from out of town uh, to their Airbnb and, you know, came over. We were talking for a little bit, make some conversation, trying to get to know each other. And then, you know, things moved to the bedroom and, you know, the threesome was really hot and whatnot. But my question isn't really about the threesome. The question actually comes from something else. Near the end of the threesome, or should I say the thing that ended the threesome, was while we were, me and the other guy were bit rusting, the woman, she was, I think, maybe gagging a little bit too hard on my cock, and she unfortunately had an accident and she had she had vomited on my on my dick. And in that moment my first thought was to A clean myself up, but B not hurt her feeling. So I guess my question is, like, is there, is there a way where like, if something, a very understandable accident like that were to happen, what would be a good way to handle that as the person who just got kind of vomited on to not shame or, or cast stigma or, 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 or anything like that to make the other person feel bad? How, how best might you avoid that?
3: Whenever a question like this comes up, I always think of my first true love, Tommy, Tommy, ah, He was gorgeous, he was hot, he was blonde, he was hung, and he was just the right first boyfriend, first love for a kind of still-conflicted, not closet case, I was out of the closet, but still-conflicted gay Catholic boy. And we were fucking, or he was fucking me, and I, well, there's no nice way to say this, I shit on his dick. I mean, he didn't shit all over his dick, I didn't shit on his lap. I got some shit on his dick, and I was absolutely mortified. And I was apologizing and blushing and just apologizing. And he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Hey, it's a, butt. it happens. Let's go shower off and then we'll do something else, which is exactly what I needed to hear. And it was exactly what we did. All right. Now, when you're getting deep throated by someone you have to assume that there's some small chance, some small risk that that person may wind up puking on you. Just like if you're fucking someone's ass, there's some small risk that that person might get some shit on your dick. Even if that person cleaned out, even if that person that you're deep throating usually has a pretty good sense of what's too far and when they're sexy retching and when they're going to bring up lunch retching. When the gag reflex is a little too engaged, but there's always a risk. And I think if you're the person getting deep-throated or you're the person fucking ass, when something like that happens, the way you handle it is by, you know, the person's apologizing profusely, telling them it's okay, and that it's a butt. That happens. It's a throat. That happens. Let's clean up. You know, grab a towel, wipe off, jump in the shower, and do something else. The only thing, the only place I might offer some criticism of how you guys handled it. And maybe she called an end of the threesome after that. Maybe she was done after she threw up on you, but the pivot could have been better handled rather than this being the end of the threesome. You clean up, you jump in the shower, she brushes her teeth, and then you ease back into perhaps some less physically taxing play so that everybody can get off and you can end the night not on a pukey note, but on a cummy, endorphiny note. But the most important thing you can do in that moment, if somebody shits on your dick, pukes in your lap, uh, when their body reminds you that it is a body and we're not always 100% in control of our bodies, one of the things we enjoy about sex is, you know, ceding some control over our body to another person or losing control over our bodies for a moment. Sometimes things that you hope wouldn't happen or don't want to happen, happen. And everybody in that moment needs to take an equal share of the responsibility for it. She didn't puke on you. You were fucking her throat. You triggered her gag reflex and she puked. Not because of something she did wrong or that she was doing, but because something you two were doing and enjoying together. So the most important thing Someone could do in that moment, like my first boyfriend Tommy. He didn't say, Oh, you did this to me. He was like, eh, That happens when you're fucking ass or you're having your ass fucked. Let's shower off, do something else. So, next time, if you're ever in this situation again, call her, next time, don't run for the door, head to the showers and the toothbrush.
5: Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. Mid-40s, cis male, queer bi guy here. Finally, after many years, I've been able to come out. I've been accepted by my wife, which is great, and we've discussed and put down the limits right now of my ability to be open within our relationship, to go out and explore and to have those things for the first time ever, which I'm... So grateful and excited for just to have a great partner. And I really wanted to ask you kind of two things. What do I need to know, understand, uh, consider when it comes to having this openness? Um, By the way, my wife uh, told me it's a don't ask, don't tell scenario. She really doesn't want to know. She just wants me to be safe and have a good time and to uh, make sure that I keep both of us safe in that way, which I plan to do. So I wanted to ask, you know, what do I need to know? What should I consider? Are there books I should read? Things like that when it comes to making sure that uh, I do the right thing within this don't ask, don't tell openness that we have within our marriage. And then also the second thing I wanted to ask is, I've played around with guys before, a lot of anonymous hookups, things like that, grinder and things like that in my youth, but I'm not 100% sure like how to go about trying to find ultimately what I would like is a friends with benefits kind of situation and just navigating
3: by queer community. There are lots of books out there on open relationships. Very few of them address DADT. I think people who write about open relationships really center, really honor, really want to talk about the honesty and communication that makes open relationships function. And There's kind of this discomfort with DADT because there's a little dishonesty required to sustain a DADT style open relationship. A don't ask, don't tell style open relationship. There's a paradox at the heart of the kind of honesty required to make DADT work. It reminds me of, you know, when hardstore kinksters talk about consensual non-consent. It's somebody consenting to a scene where, uh, you know, it looks like they're not consenting and it may feel like they're not consenting, and they've consented to that kind of drama. When it comes to DADT, you know, there's a little dishonesty at the heart of DADT because there are ways you can tell your partner that you've just been with someone else without telling them. There, You will have to protect your partner from logical inferences they might make if you are, you know, squirrely or obtuse or opaque about where you've been, what you've been doing, who you've been with, And then your partner will, you know, assume that you just had sex with somebody else and you just told them that. So you may have to be a little dishonest in the service of your honest, open relationship that has a DADT agreement to make it go. And you may have to tell some small lies to protect your partner from the truth that you've already told them that they've asked you to protect them from knowing the details of and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Doesn't make me uncomfortable. I think DADTs are a perfectly reasonable option for people who want to open relationships, but don't want to be constantly thinking about or having to worry about where their partner is, what their partner's doing, or tormented by mental images of what their partner might be doing, or having to think about their partner having sex with other people every time their partner is out of sight. So get comfortable with those little white lies that make a DADT. Possible. As for finding your community, as for finding your FWB, I'm just going to be straight with you here. Bi queer guy, gay queer guy here being straight with you. Gay bi men tend to create those communities with our dicks. They're like magic wands. We make friends with our dicks. We find new sex partners with our dicks. What's going to happen is you're going to get out there, you're going to meet guys, and You'll meet guys that you hook up with and you don't want to hook up with them again, or they don't want to hook up with you again. And you're going to meet a guy that you realize during the hookup or right after the hookup, if you're chit chatting, that you really click with, that you really kind of like. And eventually one of those guys is going to be in a circumstance very similar to yours. Maybe they have a spouse at home and are seeking a friend with benefits who can respect the you know sanctity and the primacy of their primary relationship and that they can have a DADT arrangement with. And one of those guys that you hook up with could be that guy who you can have that ideal circumstance, situation, somebody reliable, dependable, and safe. There's one more thing I think you need to talk with your wife about. You're going to, she says, be safe, have a good time, keep us both safe. She get on prep. You should use condoms if you want to protect your wife from gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis if you're going to have oral sex without condoms which is what most people do even people who are using condoms for penetrative anal sex and very few gay bi men these days particularly gay bi men on prep are using condoms for anal sex but you should stand your ground and insist to honor and protect your wife in the way that you swore to her you would protect her but there is there is some risk you can't eliminate the risk of syphilis oral syphilis oral gonorrhea oral chlamydia If you're out there, given blowjobs, getting blowjobs without a condom, you could contract gonorrhea, syphilis, chlamydia, and pass that on to your wife. So allowing for you to express yourself in this way, if your wife is consenting to this, you need to be explicit with her that there is some uneliminatable, that's not the word I want, but I'm going to go with it, degree of risk. You will test regularly, you will get on prep, you will use condoms for anal, for penetrative sex, maybe until you get to know a guy, if you really want to do everything you possibly can to keep your wife safe and yourself safe, in order to keep your wife safe, it'll just be mutual masturbation. And yeah, there will be some guys who pass on you if all that's on the menu is mutual masturbation or penetrative sex on prep with condoms. But... Do you want to be with those guys if it requires violating the agreement that your wife made with you about the importance of you protecting her as you get to live your truth and have your fun and be the queer bi guy that you are out there in the world? My last bit of advice for you is to put what it is that you are and what it is that you want on the hookup apps that you're heading back to, Grindr. I assume when you talk about uh, getting on apps like that in your youth, uh, considering that you're in your 40s, you don't mean Grindr, which only came along in 2009. I assume you mean Craigslist or other uh, internet hookup facilitation sites that were up and running 20 years ago. Uh, But when you get back out there, just queer, bi guy, married, DADT agreement with the wife, not cheating, ideally seeking a friends with benefits situation with somebody I like who's – regular and dependable and doesn't want more from me than I can give him. I can give him my time, my attention, my affection, but I can't marry anybody. Just put that out there. Be explicit about who you are, what you want, and you're far likelier not to waste your time with guys who want more, not to waste your time with guys who want less and find the guys who want exactly what you want and want exactly what you are.
6: Hi, Dan and the team. I have kind of a coming out question but it's a lot more complicated. I am a cis female queer woman in her early 30s living in Canada but originally I am from Ukraine and you know where this is going. I have never come out to my grandma. I was born and raised in Ukraine and when I Uh, moved to Canada about 10 years ago I finally came to my sexuality and have been in mostly primarily in same-sex relationships for the past five years finally I came out to my mom and she was horrified of course she didn't take it well and but and the first thing she said was please don't tell grandma she will have a heart attack she's gonna die this is gonna kill her she will she can't handle it and I have promised my mom I gave her that gift in exchange for her acceptance and her love, and I was fine with it. But more and more, been struggling with it because I am with a partner right now who I am planning to marry and probably have children, and I... Can't imagine living a lie again. We live in the in different countries. All my family is back in Ukraine. And so it's a little bit easier to lie, but it's still, oh my god, how can I keep up with this lie? And but everything has come to a really, really drastic development when of course a week ago Russia invaded Ukraine and here's the other problem is that my grandmother is Russian and she is pro-Putin. She's moved to Ukraine from Siberia way back in the day and when Soviet Union collapsed and Ukraine finally got it regained its independence my grandmother was devastated. She, She didn't like Ukraine, she didn't love you, she didn't know the language, she didn't she didn't bother, she didn't bother to learn anything about the culture. But her grandchildren are Ukrainian. I am super, I've been super proactive. I've switched, I've learned the new language. I've switched to Ukrainian language. I've been super active in politics and in culture and in art. And then I left and I thought... It's over and I tried so hard to change my grandma. I tried so hard to educate her and teach her history and explain what crimes Lenins and Stalins have done to to my people. And she never understood and I thought, fine, I can change her. I'm just gonna wait until she dies. And then her people (laughs) invaded my people and now her people are aiming and killing my own and her own. Her grandchildren are in danger of being bombed and killed. And she is celebrating it. She is justifying the actions. She completely bought into the propaganda. She is literally cheering Russian army as they kill innocent People and killing my friends and I have never felt so much anger for her. And all I could think of is that I want to come out to her, not to try to educate her, not to try to change her and explain to her why I don't want Russia to happen to me, but because I want to hurt her. Again, I know that it's gonna cause her so much pain and A part of me still loves her. It's so complicated.
3: It's actually not that complicated. Come out to your grandma. You don't have to protect her feelings anymore. I don't think you should have made that deal with your mom a decade ago to spare your grandmother. The news about you being queer, but certainly now now that your mother's abandoned, your grandmother has nothing to do with your grandmother anymore. And your sister doesn't have anything to do with your grandmother anymore. And your grandmother is rooting for Putin to kill her own grandchildren in Ukraine. Yeah. Even if your motives are a little suspect, even if you're telling your grandmother that you're queer now in part to get back at her, why the fuck not? I had a shitty grandmother. I had a really shitty grandmother. I don't think my grandmother was as shitty as your grandmother but my grandmother was pretty fucking shitty and let me tell you if there were you know if there was a magic spell i could have uttered an incantation something i could have said to her that would have killed her i would have been really fucking tempted to say that aloud whatever it was in her presence i was out to her that didn't kill her she didn't like it she never spoke to me again for the most part Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I feel what it is to have a shitty grandmother. And also I came out to my very shitty, very homophobic, very racist, very awful grandmother and it didn't kill her. And it's not going to kill your grandmother. She's going to get angry. She's not going to like it, but so the fuck what? Why are you prioritizing the feelings of this person, this monster? She's really a monster. If she's pro-Putin, pro-Stalin, pro-Lenin, and is cheering on the Russian army as it invades your homeland and the homeland of her grandchildren and bombs indiscriminately civilian neighborhoods, targets civilians for death and destruction, uh, yeah. Fuck your grandma, tell her you're queer, rip that Band-Aid off, and if it kills her, eh, good. And my heart goes out to you. It really does. This is a very distressing time. I'm watching the news obsessively, watching what's happening in Ukraine, watching what's being done to Ukraine. And I'm not Ukrainian, and I don't have any Ukrainian uh, friends or relatives. And I am absolutely gutted and upset and distressed by the news. So I can only imagine what you're going through. And then having to add, on top of what you're already going through emotionally right now, this... Layer of self censorship, this responsibility that your mother imposed on you to prioritize your shitty, 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 shitty fucking grandmother's feelings over your own life, your own truth, your own ability to be fully out and fully honest with the people you quote unquote love, including your grandmother? Yeah, no, no. If not now, when? Should have been 10 years ago, should have told that bitch 10 years ago, but certainly. You're under no obligation to prioritize or spare this woman's feelings for one more minute. Tell her. And if it kills her, good.
2: Hello, Dan. My wife and I have raised our kids in a loving and open progressive home. We've encouraged them to talk to us and ask questions with the promise of a judgment-free answer. They're good kids, and we're very happy that they're moving through the world in the best way they know how. Our son, who's a freshman in college, has met a fellow freshman with whom he is smitten and we're very happy for him we haven't met this young woman yet but from what he has told us she appears to be from a very conservative home she arrived at school unvaccinated as are her parents she told our son she was going to get the vaccine but when it came time to do so conversations with her parents convinced her not to more importantly from a dad's perspective she is not on any form of birth control My wife has always repeated the mantra that if he takes it out, he needs to wrap it up. So we're confident that he's using condoms, at least as confident as you can be as parents of a 20-year-old boy. I'd like to know that she's on effective birth control if for no other reason than I don't want them having an unexpected pregnancy. I've told my kids from a very young age that a baby is the best thing that can happen to you when you're with the right partner and at a stage of life where you can appreciate and care for that baby. He is not at that point yet. This isn't my daughter, and it's none of my business, really. But I'm wondering if you might have some advice or wisdom to encourage this young lady to take control of her own fertility.
3: You know what I don't get? I don't get why good girls from conservative families won't get vaccinated and also won't use birth control, head off to college and have a ton of premarital sex. Seems to me that if you were going to be consistent consistently conservative have consistent conservative values that yeah if birth control wasn't for you premarital sex wouldn't be for you either you got to say something to your son about those condoms that hopefully he's using you say that the wife has said to your son again and again and again if he's going to pull it out wrap it up go to your son ask him if indeed that is what he is doing double check Make sure. And I would encourage him, I would encourage your son, if he had called in asking me for advice, not to ejaculate inside her, even wearing a condom. Condoms break, condoms leak. When someone ejaculates inside a condom and continues to thrust, as people often do during ejaculation, that ups the chances of a leak. And he doesn't want to risk knocking this girl up at age 20 because, yeah, a leak into a girl who won't use birth control because conservative values, that's also a leak into a girl who won't get an abortion because of conservative values. Although it is kind of a cliche among people who work at abortion clinics that they often see in the clinic on the table availing themselves of a safe and legal abortion, some of the same faces they've seen on the picket lines outside the abortion clinics. And then they see those faces returned to the picket lines outside those abortion clinics. So maybe this girl would be, your son would luck out if he gets her pregnant, and she would be one of those anti-choice conservative values hypocrites. But he doesn't want to gamble with his future. It's a long shot that she would be, if he knocked her up, one of those conservatives who would get an abortion when it was her future on the line, and then seek to deny that choice to other young women who's Futures are on the line. So go to your son, yell at your son. Not just about wrapping it up, it's about not ejaculating inside the condom that's inside her, unless that condom and his dick is inside her ass. And then I guess he can go for it. And I'm a meddler. I think you can say something to the girl as well. Yeah, they're both adults. You can't control ultimately either of them, but you're implicated in the choices that they're making. If your son becomes a father at age 20, you and your wife are going to have to come through for your son financially, probably going to have to do a lot of child care if you want to keep your son in college. And so this choice that they're making not to use a better form of birth control if they're going to be sexually active, if shit goes south, if a zygote gets implanted, It's going to impact your life, too. And I think you have a right to say something to this girl when you meet her about that. I think you can say to her, look, my son says you two are sexually active. My son says you aren't on any form of birth control, that you guys are using condoms. That's good. It's not great. It's not ideal. Ideally, you would be on a more reliable, long-lasting form of birth control if you're going to make the choice at your age to be sexually active. When you're not married and you're too young and not ready to have children, will that be an awkward conversation? Yeah, that'll be awkward. You know, it'll be more awkward becoming a grandparent at your age.
7: Hi, Dan. Queer cis woman calling in. I'm in the middle of a podcast episode of Deeply Human, and I just learned that in 1981, Jimmy Carter commissioned a report entitled Defining Death, and I learned that... In different, different states have different definitions of what they consider uh, what they consider death to be. Um, anyway, I was listening to this, and the first thought that came into my head was um, how as a sex educator, I am constantly tweaking and redefining and sometimes just throwing my hands up in confusion of the definition of sex. And I thought, I wonder if anyone or when the last time someone asked Dan Savage what his current definition of sex is. So I wanted to give you a call. Um, if someone just came down and asked you, what is sex? Simple as that. What would your answer be?
3: I was recently on Zach Noe Towers podcast, Good Morning Sodomites. And we tackled this question. He asks all of his guests uh, early in the podcast, podcast all about sex, how they personally define sex. And so many of Zach's guests are from entertainment and comedy. And so many of them, almost all of them define sex as penetration, vaginal penetration, anal penetration, not even oral penetration seems for many of them to count. And that makes my, makes my head explode. You know, if You define sex as penetration, vaginal or anal, you walk into a room and you see your girlfriend sitting with two naked men and she has their dicks in her hands and she's jacking them off. Is your girlfriend, if you have a monogamous commitment, is she cheating on you? Yeah. Even though what she's doing doesn't meet your definition of sex as penetration, I think that we should define sex as broadly as possible because then we will... Have more of it. I think sex is an erotic experience that two or more people can share, and in the future, an erotic experience that one person, maybe, and a robot could share that engages Eros and the erotic imagination and is a turn on and may or may not end in climax for one or both parties. I'm hoping sex robots in the future get to come too. I think everybody should get to come. That's my definition of sex. So, sex can include cyber, and sex can include dry humping with your clothes on, and sex can include, you know, double penetration and regular old penetration and hand jobs and you, cyber sex, masturbating with somebody online. Sex can include sexting. You know, the broader your definition of sex, the more sex you're going to have, the more sex you have. The happier and more content a person you're probably going to be, sexual activity, sexual release really does improve people's qualities of life. Now, here's where I get in trouble with my definition of sex. Well, I think our definitions of sex should be as broad as possible. I think our definition of cheating should be as narrow as possible. Broadly defined sex, you will have a lot of sex narrowly defined cheating and you're less likely to get cheated on. So I think, you know, an erotic experience that two people share where there's arousal and eroticism and perhaps climax for one or both. I think that counts as sex. If your partner got on chatterbait one night or, you know, was watching somebody on a cam or interacting with somebody and got off, ugh. That's a really common form of masturbation. I think you should round that up to sex if it's something you're enjoying with a partner so that you're having more sex. I think with a long-term committed relationship, you should round that down to maybe not sex so you're less likely to be cheated on. I know these ideas of mine are in conflict, but you know what they say about being a grown-up? Sometimes it means holding two contradictory ideas in your head. The same time. So, how do I define sex? Broadly. And that's how I advise people to define sex. How do I define cheating? Narrowly. And that's how I advise people to define cheating. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with Tim Miller, writer at large and podcaster all the time for The Bulwark former communications director for Jeb Bush, the only former communications director for a Republican candidate for president I think I've had on my show more than once, and a former Republican. <laughs> hey, Tim Miller, how are you? Hey,
8: Dan. More than once, even once, you've had some other Republican. Did <laughs> you have some Republican spokespeople
3: on to dunk on them or something before? Uh, I, or? I haven't cheated on you with any other Republican former spokespersons oh, for uh, major candidates for president. It's kind of a sad day uh, when I'm having you on. Yes. The Don't Say Gay bill, thanks to 22 Republicans' party line vote in the Florida Senate, passed out of the Florida legislature today and is headed for Ron DeSantis' desk for his signature. You did a big piece for the bulwark on the Don't Say Gay bill. Can you bring my listeners up to date on what that bill is and why they should be worried?
8: Yeah, I'm pretty sad actually that I was right. Um I like it better when I'm wrong as a political pundit, but I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago um for the Bulwark and I think that there was a sense that a lot of times in these red states, you know, you get a cra- you know, a crazy far right legislature legislator who proposes something, you know that on its face you're like this seems too extreme and like even for the fucking Republicans to pass, right? Like there's no way this is actually going to become a law. And I made some calls with my old friends in Florida and and came to the realization that no, the Don't Say Gay bill was actually g- going to become a the law and so I, I tried to write about it to uh, you know raise the outrage meter a little bit but obviously it was not enough to you know didn't raise it enough to get it stopped uh, since it passed the Senate today um, the gist of it is the original bill that was, you know, a 10 out of 10 on the pernicious scale was going to ban all discussion of, uh, sexual orientation or gender identity, um, at the primary school level. They didn't specify what primary school level was. Uh, and, and the enforcement mechanism for this was that any panhandle Karen that wanted to sue the school over something that they felt was like, was in violation of this could do so. Um, while the, the enforcement mechanism has stayed the same, but they've since updated it and amended it to uh, be slightly narrower and still extremely offensive and outrageous and, and harmful for um, kids in Florida who, you know, are, are uh, from families, uh, LGBTQ families, right, Might have questions of their own. Um, but it, the narrower version now, what's going to pass into law bans instruction that, that, dis- that, addresses sexual orientation or gender identity obviously not the hats you know just sexual orientation in a gay context um <laughs> right. instruction yeah instruction that does so and and for grades K through 3 and then it continues some vague language about older grades about you know talking about anything that would not be age appropriate and uh, the arbiter of that will again be just any random parent that decides they want to sue the school and you know any local yokel judge that that feels like you know what happened in the school might fall outside the uh, outside the scope of what is age appropriate so i mean the the you know the bill in its text language is really really bad but the way that it's structured, I think, is the most pernicious part, right? Because there's gonna be a chilling effect. You don't really know exactly what's banned, you know. So it's sort of this better safe than sorry, you know, ethos that could pervade through schools. Like let's just not, you know, let's not let's not include Antango Makes Three in the in the school library anymore because we just don't wanna deal with the BS like the lawyers get involved and then or and then any the other
3: acknowledgement day. of the existence of queer kids in sex education yeah. that queer kids desperately need to be I- included in, especially if the, a la the Texas yeah. and its abortion ban, the enforcement mechanism is pit American against American and yep. sue, empower them to sue each other, sue the schools, sue the teachers. Yep. It's, uh, and, and, and right again, back. it's not just sexual orientation. It's also gender identity. We're seeing yep. other attacks in other States, Texas included, uh, on trans kids, uh, trans athletes, this state law in Texas, though, seems to be the new front.
8: In Florida, you mean? Oh, yeah, Florida, yeah, pardon me. Yeah, the, yeah the state law in Florida. Yeah, I, I think that it is the most, um, you know, full-throated, uh, no pun intended, right? Um, as far as just covering, the, uh, you know, expansiveness and what it's going to, you know, potentially limit. And, you know, I, uh, one of the things, just in case— Again, I don't think any listeners of this podcast are going to think we're using hyperbole, but but it's always better to just be straight about this. And like like what is what is actually being passed in this legislation is bad. On on its face, you know, we you don't need to exaggerate. Here's Travis Hudson. Um, he's a state senator, for, a Republican state senator, who was one of the uh, uh, supporters of the bill. He said explicitly, this bill would ban a homework assignment that had the premise, "Sally has two moms" or "Johnny has two dads." Right. So now, you know, if you're in kindergarten, you know, my kid's going into preschool next year. If she was going into preschool in uh, in Florida, uh, the school could not. You know, hand her a book that had two moms and a child. A they, 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 uh, third grade teacher that was teaching, or uh, I guess you learned times tables in second grade, you know, whatever grade it is you're starting to learn your multiplication tables, you couldn't do, you know, a, a word problem that included, you know, gay parents. You know, let's add two gay, you know, two moms plus one mom, right? And let's see how many moms are. So That, that would be illegal.
3: I mean, that is astounding. There are kids with gay parents. What happens yes. to those kids? It's not just the kid won't see themselves reflected in any of the materials in the school what happens if that kid you know if there's a discussion in the classroom about families as there sometimes is even making cards for mom or dad or mom's and dad's on sure. mother's day or father's day what happens to that kid if they bring up the existence of their family yeah so this is the problem right it's that's where it gets really vague
8: right they 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 the one thing that they did to moderate this bill slightly, um and you know, it was not n- nearly sufficient, obviously, and it's still just a repulsive bill. But was to change the word discussion to instruction, right? So that if my kid, just use a hypothetical, goes into school and says, "Hey, I was hanging out with my dad's this weekend," like that is not in violation per se, okay. But then they're getting to a lot of gray areas, right? Like, let's say a teacher uh, has a genealogy assignment that they have, you know, for kids in second or third grade. I did that. When When I was, I I think, in third or fourth grade, I remember coming home to my mom, asking how we're going to make this family tree. Okay, well, if a a teacher knows that the student is... Uh, you know, has gay parents, could one of the other teachers, could one of the other parents then sue the school, sue the teacher by saying that, oh, this was their, they were trying to get around this bill and they knew that a kid was going to bring in a gay, a big old gay family tree. I, you know, it's hard to know exactly how, like what, um, you know, what the scope of that could be. I, I think it also is a really, you know, harmful, in addition to be harmful for kids who are in, in families with gay parents, families with trans parents. Uh, what about gay teachers? You know, I, I like like there th- this notion that they don't have speech rights, they don't have to be able to talk about their family. Like what if they have a picture on their desk of them and their same-sex spouse? Like do they have to put that do they have to put the picture away? If they're giving instruction in a class and saying, "Oh, you know whatever, here's something that happened in my life this weekend that might be relevant to the lesson today." Can they not mention their spouse? It turns every it turns I, you know, every, again, it turns every public
3: school into a Catholic school where teachers get fired for mentioning <laughs> yeah. the fact that they have a same-sex yeah. spouse. I'm curious exactly. about that line And it's probably a blurry line between discussion and instruction. If a kid mentions their same-sex parents and the teacher says one word about it and the enforcement mechanism is the most offended possible parent (laughs) of every other kid in the classroom, if the teacher even acknowledges what the kid said, the fact of the existence of their family, have we not crossed the line between discussion initiated by a child with same-sex parents to instruction being conducted by the teacher about the existence of that family, the legitimacy of that family. Yeah. The answer is we don't know. And I think
8: here's the problem, Dan is like in the gray area, right. It's going to be in the mo in the districts where the, that kid is the most vulnerable, where it's going to be a, the biggest problem, right. You know, in Miami, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine a kid talking about their parent. you know, their gay parents and other kids getting mad. I guess you could. You never know. You could get one crazy parent to Miami. But it in, you know, rural Florida, you know, where, where the kid is an outlier, Um, you know, could there be another parent, another student that wants to bully that kid and kind of reports back to their parents, you know, that this happened in the class? I, you know, I, and, and then I think that even if it doesn't come to the courts, right, you know, even if it, even if the the law you know, isn't implemented as in a parent, you know, sues the school. Uh, how many kids are just going to say, ah, think to themselves, it's better for me not to mention my parents. It's better uh, for me to be ashamed. I'm a little ashamed or like I'm a little worried. I'm going to get them in trouble. or I'm going to get myself in trouble. All uh, right. And that, I, I think stigma is, is, is going to, you know, be put in place regard you know, no matter what the actual reading of
3: the bill is. seems to me that they may have misjudged the way stigma is going to work now because, you know, I've been reading a lot about the don't say gay bill. And, you know, the speculation is often from, you know, older gays and lesbians who like us, who remember what it was like decades (laughs) ago was this is going to point a bullseye in the back of a lot of, you know, queer kids. And, you know, they're going to be picked on or bullied. What I've seen are walkouts in schools. What I've seen are students organizing protests against this bill. If I was a gay kid in one of these Florida schools that all of my, Classmates, most of them not queer, walked out in protest over this law. The message being sent to a lot of queer kids in Florida schools isn't you're on your own and no one has your back. The message is fuck this. And you have a (laughs) lot more support among your peers than maybe you knew about a month ago.
8: I, think, I do think that's right. And I think that the best way, uh, I think that was a beautiful way to spend this. I think the best way to look at this and think maybe it isn't as catastrophic as it looks on its face is that the culture really has changed dramatically. And I think that if you look at many school districts in Florida, uh, I, I think that there is just in practice you know, going to be a lot of subversion of this law, right? And o- almost going the other way intentionally and a lot of kids supporting other kids. What I worry about is you know, outside of the of the bubbles of fabulousness, are there are a <laughs> lot of gays. You know what I mean? Like, like in exurban Tampa, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that whole uh, I four corridor between Tampa and Orlando, up on the Panhandle, right? Like, like uh, is the culture going to be different? It's hard for me to know. I, you know, I don't have a kid in school in the Panhandle. Maybe, maybe things are better there for for uh, gay families than I than I realized for queer families than I realized. But that that is. Where it worries me. Um, I do think that you're right, though. In a lot of places in Florida, there's going to be a big, big backlash to this.
3: As with gay rights or the lives of queer people, you always have to ask, where Where am I? Where are you? Because that's going to make a real difference. And this will potentially empower bullies and bigots in shitty places. But it's also, as we're seeing in some other places, inspiring people who might not have otherwise spoken up to speak up right now. My question for you, though, is, how does this possibly survive a First Amendment challenge? A straight teacher can mention their spouse. A gay teacher cannot. A kid with straight parents can talk about their family in you know in front of a classroom, can give a presentation and talk about their family or the family tree, the family history, their parents. A gay kid or a queer kid or a trans kid cannot. How does that survive a First Amendment challenge? Well,
8: you should have one of my lawyer friends on this for this. You know, Robbie Kaplan, who I worked with, who who has argued, um, you know, a number of uh, defense uh, against Defense of Marriage Act cases of the Supreme Court um, had already I've already spoken to. And I think that she is and some other lawyers are, you know, talking to folks in Florida about about how they can challenge this bill and the best ways to challenge it. So I do think it's challengeable. I, I think that this sort of, you know, bounty system that was pioneered in Texas Again, starts to get you around, you know, some of these constitutional questions, right? You know, because then this is really, you know, just gets into the civil courts, right? It's like, you know, Tallahassee Tammy is suing, you know, the school district. And, and so you know and then and the question is that the school district isn't following state laws right over curriculum you know the free uh, is there not necessarily a free speech right, the state has a right to you know dictate curriculum. Uh, so I, I think that's how the Republicans think that they're going to be able to get around it and why the bill is structured this way. but I, I do think that my understanding is that there are going to be some some legal challenges and that, that there's relative optimism on that
3: front. An earlier version of the law, uh, I saw a discussion about an earlier version of the law that included language that would have required a school if a kid came out at school as yep. bi or lesbian or gay or trans for the school administration to out that kid to their parents. Did that make it into the final version?
8: That did not make it into the final version. That was an, another... Um that that was an amendment. So that was on the original version. But that was an amendment that I I do think passed in one of the one of the various committees, um, but did but didn't make it into the final version. But again, I do think this is where things the places are going. And I, I think that it's important to look at Florida as a canary in the coal mine of what other red states are going to do. Um, you know, uh, w- w- particularly bills in schools. And and I think that that amendment, um, we may you know, see like, it like, in other states. We yeah, may we see may, that may that see it in Arkansas, state. Kansas. Yeah. Exactly. And it goes to this whole parents rights argument that Republicans are making, which is, you know, bullshit, as you know, but it's like, hey, if I'm a parent and a kid, you know, confesses to their teacher that they're having questions about their gender identity or their sexual orientation, you know, it's my obligation to tell the parent about that. That's how they're going to spin that. And I, you know, whether and I think this that's obviously just horrific and would have made this bill even worse. But like, I, I think that'll be popular.
3: Let's unpack for my straight listeners why that's so horrific. Often the worst bullies that a queer kid has in their lives are their own parents. parents. It are the parents who make young queer kids homeless by throwing them out after they come out or out into their families. It's parents who force young queer kids into conversion therapy at their churches. It's parents who beat their queer kids and try to beat the gayness or beat the queerness out of them. School, you know, we talk about bullying at school when it comes to like being young and queer A lot of people don't understand that for a lot of young queer kids, school is the refuge from the bullies at home. And if school becomes a place that you're not safe being yourself either because you're going to get narked to your homophobic parents in the Florida panhandle, that's going to get queer kids killed. Not by bullies at school, but by bullies at home.
8: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, the only thing I'd add to that is that a lot of times is it, it is that is the support structure for that kid, right? And a mm-hmm. lot of times they're, they're trying to build their confidence, right. And, and decide like, you know, get their comfort level. And by talking to a teacher or a, um, you know, administrator they have built a relationship with. So that is why the other thing, the other relationship with this is now the DeSantis people, um, uh, the DeSantis spokeswoman who is just despicable uh, Christina Pushaw ha- has used the debate around this issue which didn't actually make it into the finer bi- final bill to accuse opponents of the bill of being groomers and this is what this is something that you'll get in other red states too right which is like if you want a kid to be able to talk to their teacher about their sexual identity then you must be a groomer who wants who wants to allow te- I, you know we're back to
3: Anita Bryant with this shit it, it is so fucking depressing and so fucking scary it is,
8: and I think that it's the other reason, besides caring about kids in Florida, that this is particularly relevant, and and is something that, that we need to keep watching, is that DeSantis has a good political sense for you know where the voters are, right? Like he 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 really has done a. It was, You might hate him about everything from a policy standpoint, but politically he's been very shrewd. And I think what he is laying out here is this synthesis between, you know, the old school social conservative, you know, Pat Robertson, Alan Keyes, Ted Cruz, you know, uh, social conservatism that a lot of voters found a little weird. You know, to say the least, right? a lot of uh, uh, crossover swing voters and the Trumpian, you know, this sort of I'm a cad from New York and you don't actually have to, be, uh, you don't, you aren't going to believe that I'm actually going to pass anything that's anti-gay or anti-abortion. I probably paid for some abortions and I have gay friends and all this sort of stuff. DeSantis is trying to find a synthesis between this where, I, you know, he's not going to be this hardline old school SoCon that turns off the secular Trump MAGA types. But, but, he, but he is not going to go the full, you know, obviously he's not Donald Trump. And, and so I, I think that these types of bills, focusing on schools, focusing on kids are the way to do that and, and that you're going to see a lot of copycats.
3: Ugh, I want to make a pivot out of this because we've decided we have guests on to talk about politics at the end. We're going to throw a sex question at them. Um, but pivoting out I'm of so this, is, this is a little hard. So uh, <laughs> your piece at the Bulwark, what was the headline? Where can people find that?
8: Uh, My piece of the bulwark uh, was DeSantis Shapiro and co want to put my kid in the closet. We didn't even get to talk about Ben Shapiro talking about how teachers have no rights to talk about their families. And when he was growing up, their teachers didn't tell him anything. So you can go read the article and there's a video uh, also uh, where I respond to Shapiro on, on that point. Um, and, uh, and, and and we'll be updating it as 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 news comes along.
3: And, and for my listeners who may not be familiar with the bulwark, what is the bulwark? I'm a fan. I read the bulwark. Sure. I listen to the bulwark podcast uh, with Charlie Sykes every day, as you know. Because sometimes I get in your DMs and share some feedback <laughs> with you. What is the bulwark?
8: Uh, the bulwark uh, it was originally a basically a never Trump. Uh, center-right outlet. Um, it formed out of the Weekly Standard, which was an old-school Bill Crystal neocon outlet that got shuttered because they were too mean to Donald Trump and the uh, owners got upset about that and they shut it down. So some of the old Weekly Standard people and some other center-right folks started the bulwark. Since then, we've been trying to expand and create more of a diverse sort of space for people in the political center. We added Will Salatin from Slate, who's really awesome, um, and have, and have added a few other folks um, who come a little bit more from the center-left perspective. So, you know, we're hoping to provide political analysis and reporting for people in the uh in the broad middle and i asked our podcast listeners recently upon your suggestion whether i should start a centrist politics sex advice podcast and the feedback <laughs> was overwhelmingly negative about that oh that's good uh, i won't listeners. have to have you they, killed every
3: time somebody <laughs> starts a new sex advice podcast i have to take out a hit and <laughs> have
8: them killed yeah well, no no worries So i guess that's why i want to come back on here and do one sex advice question at the end so i can get it out of my system you know i'm doing my best and i I thought, I thought maybe, you know, the boomers um, who come to the Bulwark might want to hear my advice on their sex lives, but it turns out, no.
3: Anyway, one last thought about the Bulwark. If you told me 15 years ago that I would be listening to – Bill Crystalby interviewed Bart Charlie Sykes on a (laughs) podcast or the radio and be like, fuck yeah, to like half the things they had to say, Uh, I would have told you you were crazy. The world has really been turned upside down and inside out. Um, But I'm a listener to The Bulwark. Uh, I'm not a center-right or a center-center person. I'm a far-left person. Uh, and I get a lot out of it. That's valuable. And so I endorse it.
8: Just really quick. We love that, By the way, we have a number of far left of like left, left people who listen because for good reason, they can't listen to the, you know, fucking Fox. They can't listen to conservative media outlets, but, but they do want to have themselves challenged. And we try to do that in the Bulwark and have people from the left, left on, um, to, to debate and hash out issues. So, you know, hopefully it can be a place to, for people on the left to kind of get out of their echo chamber a little bit. And, uh, I'm always happy to take, take feet, take shit when, um, you know, I say that when my old, when my old, you know, Reaganism comes out and uh, gets people freaked out, I'm happy to, I'm happy to take negative feedback and and hear and hear from listeners on that.
3: All right, but now you're going to take a sex question from one of my listeners. Here we go.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm just gay male calling from the northeast near New York. Here's the situation: I am with a younger guy moving here from another country. I'm early fifties. He is mid twenties we really love each other. We have an understanding. We can relate to each other. We're both introverts and we can both sort of relate in that way and maybe in ways that we can with other people. But here's the problem. He insists on a fully open relationship and I'm totally cool with that. I think monog- monogamy is silly. But his idea of open is like to basically be finding guys every day or almost every day and going to parties and all of this, which I could probably deal with without too much problem. But the issue is that when he's with me, he's very tame and not open to doing much of anything outside the very vanilla. And I've offered many times to be... You know, I'm I'm pretty much down for anything, and and, I mean within reason. So I'm basically here. You know, not as easily able to find people to take advantage of in an open relationship. And he's basically taking advantage every, almost every day, while I sit here and deal with. Sort of boring sex, not terrible sex, certainly, but, you know, it's boring and the same old thing every day or, well, I wish every day, uh, once or twice a week. And so he probably has sex once or twice a day with other people, you know, at least some days. So that's the problem. Uh, And to add pressure, we have to get married within a few weeks or he has to leave the country. So just looking for some advice, like how can I get him to open up to me and be more open like to me sexually? He kinda has a hard time seeing me as a sexual person because we're in a relationship.
3: So he says he's mid-50s, and there was something about the way he said, paused for a second before he said mid-20s, that made me think that his uh say is like twenty-two and we're rounding and a half yeah, we're rounding up to mid-twenties here. <laughs> Uh so any advice in your vast experience of the gay mail order bride thing? <laughs> um boy, I have never had a
8: gay mail order bride, so I don't have any experience there. Maybe there's some relevant experience I could bring to bear. I, I have a little bit the the um the turn at the two minute and thirty-second mark there about um how they need to get married in a few weeks uh before or else the younger gentleman has to go back to his home country, I guess. Uh, it was a little bit of a red flag for me. Felt like before the two minute thirty second part, I felt like we were in a pretty straightforward, older older uh, man younger man relationship, where the older man just needs to kind of come to terms with the fact that part of the deal of this open relationship is that you let your younger twenty something partner, you know, go out there and have fun, and um, and that's sort of part of the. Part of the arrangement as long as as long as both sides are aware of that open to that mm-hmm. um but uh I, you know I, I think once i learned about the, the 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 shotgun wedding i guess we'd call it the uh, <laughs> mail order shotgun wedding uh-huh. coming at the end that makes me a little bit more concerned that everybody's not on the level here and so i guess my genuine advice uh would be to the caller that I, he needs to be in a he needs to very much have a real talk situation with his partner about all of this be, be as candid as he was with you and with us about what his needs are going to be in this relationship and if, if they're not if they're not going to be met then I, I I don't think that he's in the
3: situation that he
8: that he thinks he's in.
3: It seems to me that the caller is making assumptions that aren't supported by the facts and evidence at least the facts that he shared with us. His boyfriend is having tons of sex with other people and then having boring sex a couple of times a week with him and he seems to assume that because he's having sex with lots of people he's having kinky sex with a lot of Good other point. people and for all you know caller he's you know just fucking and sucking and doing gay vanilla with other people and that's also what he's doing with you i think you obviously caller want to do more than just gay vanilla but if he's vanilla that's all you're going to get out of him and with a 30 year age gap and this kind of age and experience gap, yeah, I agree with Tim. Kind of what you're signing up for here is you got to let him be gay and in his 20s, and there's an upside when you're in your 50s to having a hot young boyfriend who's gay and isn't 20s. But the downside is like you got to let him do what he's basically <laughs> doing. It sounds like he's doing it a lot. You might ask him to dial it back a little and make sure your needs are being. Met too, but or dial it up with you more, or dial it up with you over. more. Don't expect like crazy kinky sex if all he's into is vanilla. Like, it's not, it's people sometimes think that somebody has a ton of sex with a ton of people that that's obviously like crazy. And a lot of the people I know who have tons of sex with lots of different people are just like getting blowjobs or giving blowjobs, they're having like the most basic vanilla sex just with a cast of thousands. <laughs> and a lot of the kinkiest people I know have kinky sex with one person. Can I just add one other thing about the marriage? Yeah, um, you're I'd married. I'm married. End. We have some advice yeah, about I'm married.
8: marriages. Yeah, um, uh, because I, I I agree with Dan 100 on the on the sex side of the advice. I'm a little bit worried that um, again, you know, we only have two minutes of sound here, but that. Uh, like the, the the situation that the caller describes could get worse for him post marriage. I, I, it just does not seem to me that this is a relationship that's really built on trust, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, that is the key part about the about the marriage is that you you want after the marriage everything to you know meet be to your expectations because you guys have discussed what you want for your marriage. Um, you know, both within your bedroom and outside of it, in, in the case of the younger guys.
3: And there's a real red flag when he says that his fiance boyfriend right now has a hard time seeing him as a sexual person because they're in a relationship. He's not going to have an easier time seeing you as a sexual person once you're married. The cliche is that once people are married, sex tends to drop off, not take
8: off. After the wedding night, I'm seeing in my crystal ball for this marriage, very little, (laughs) very little sex. And and that could be okay. Uh, That could be okay, but like that doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like that's what the caller wants. doesn't sound like what the caller wants, though. So they should have a little convo about that, I think.
3: Yeah. And I would also, you know, I don't know. The caller sounds like a decent guy and a thoughtful guy, so I'm not casting aspersions. But, you know, dickful thinking is powerful. And, you know, there's the status object of having the hot younger boyfriend. And so I don't think it's just a case of, like, the hot young guy who needs the green card using the older guy. Older guys can also be sort of leveraging, using, manipulating. And that's fine, I guess, if he's going to use you in a certain way, but there's affection there and you're going to use him in a certain way, but there's affection and respect there. You could make that marriage work. A marriage doesn't have to work forever to have been a success. But if what you want is a life partner, I don't think this guy in this circumstance is going to get you there. Certainly
8: not a kinky life partner.
3: <laughs> Certainly not a kinky life partner. And you can go find that with other guys. Like He's saying that because he's in his 50s, he can't find that elsewhere. I'm here for my 50s to tell you that you can. Because I do.
8: <laughs> Thank God. All right, Tim Miller <laughs> report from the report from having just turned 40. Well, Thanks, uh, I'm happy to hear.
3: I'm here from you, your next decade to tell you that it doesn't stop. All right, Tim Miller, that was a, that was a really well done pivot from the seriousness and direness of the conversation we just had about the don't say gay bill in Florida, but you give good sex advice. I'm going to have you back.
8: We're skilled podcasters, Dan. Um, you know, that is what you call a transition in the business. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. I will want to do sex advice anytime you'll have me. Uh, and so you know where to find me,
3: but next time you're on, we're going to talk about abortion.
8: Oh, perfect. Sounds great. The listeners, uh, who, uh, who follow me and come to the bulwark after this podcast will probably not like me as much after that one. Thank you so much, Tim. See you, Dan.
9: Hi, Dan. I am a non-binary lesbian in my mid twenties and I just got out of a relationship that was about two years long and I was monogamous with my girlfriend at the time throughout the entire relationship, we often had a lot of discussions about where our feelings lay in terms of our sexual preferences, because we believe that needs and feelings change over time. Throughout our relationship, my ex would always uh, reference feeling generally queer, perhaps bisexual, she would say. And we had a lot of issues with trust throughout the relationship. There was a lot of Let me see your phone. Who have you been texting? And there was a lot of insecurity, and I feel like it was more on her end than mine. I don't think she trusted me the way I trusted her. We broke up recently because she cheated on me twice. The first time was just a kiss with a random guy at a bar, which I ultimately let go. But the second time was about two months later, a week from Christmas. And she had sex with a guy who uh, came to visit her, who was her friend. The entire thing rotted me to my core, and I'm still having a lot of trouble dealing with it. And I've recently found that she's on a, a dating app, and she's put her sexuality as pansexual. I still care about her very much, and I don't ever want to undermine what she's experiencing, or what she feels like she's learning about herself. But I don't know quite how to take or handle that information, given that in our queer relationship, she cheated on me with two guys in these very heteronormative circumstances. And I don't really quite know where to go from here. Maybe you do.
3: Where do you go with this? You go away? I mean, not that you did anything wrong, not that you should have to go away, but get away from this woman? That means do your level best to stop thinking about this woman and processing this relationship. That person that you were dating, they cheated, and they cheated in a heteronormative way. Would it have been better if they cheated on you in a less heteronormative way? They cheated on you with a couple of Men, would it have been better if they cheated on you with a couple of assigned male at birth, non-binary persons who were femme and or mask presenting? Probably not. You still would have felt cheated on. And clearly there was a red flag there in the relationship where she was demanding to see your phone. She was accusing you basically of doing what she was contemplating doing herself, perhaps already doing herself, or knew that she was capable of, which was cheating. So she felt insecure in the relationship, not because of anything you had done, but because of who she was. Maybe things she'd done in past relationships, maybe things she was already doing in the relationship with you over the course of the two years that you didn't find out about. Yeah, that happens a lot in quote unquote monogamous relationships with cheaters, where the cheater looks at you and thinks, you're the cheater or you're as capable of cheating on them as they already know themselves to be cheating on you. Uh, and what do you do when a relationship like that ends? Well, you Taylor Swift that shit and shake it off. If you see your ex on a dating app, you block them so you don't have to look at their face and you don't have to look at their evolving identity around their sexual orientation and you don't have to think about it. Obviously, your ex, you're a lesbian. You say you're a non-binary lesbian. Obviously, your ex isn't exclusively attracted to women. Could be that your ex is homoromantic or biromantic, but leans heterosexual, enjoys sex with men also, or primarily. And is still figuring that out. You're both young. You say you're in your mid-20s. I'm assuming your ex is in her mid-20s. You're both young and you're working this shit out. And sometimes when you're young and working this shit out, you hurt other people. You make promises you can't keep. I certainly made monogamous commitments that I couldn't keep when I was in my 20s. So some empathy here for your ex. Hopefully what your ex is learning is not to make those kinds of commitments if she can't keep them. But yeah, yeah. You just need to get out there and start dating other people and tell yourself you two weren't meant to be with each other and tell yourself in the future that if somebody is accusing you by demanding to see your phone and read your text messages of cheating, that they're in that moment. If you've done nothing to arouse their suspicions in that moment, they're telling on themselves and you'll take that seriously next time. And you will factor that into your decision about whether to keep seeing that person. And I think it argues against continuing to see someone when they accuse you of cheating and you're not cheating. That almost always means they're cheating. And if you don't want to be in the kind of relationship where you're cheated on, if you don't want to be in a non-ethical, non-monogamous relationship, you should get out of a relationship with somebody who's demanding to see your phone. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it makes it worse that she cheated on you quote unquote with men quote unquote in a heteronormative fashion Cheating's cheating and you got cheated on and that sucks and a relationship that maybe had good parts to it with a person that you liked or even fell in love with for a while that ended and that's painful and we tend to obsess about that. It's only been a few months. You're allowed to obsess for a few months. You're allowed to wallow, but now, now it's time to put this and put her Behind you, get out there and meet and fuck some new people. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Blue Moniker tweets Oh no, fake Dan Savage, the spray foam incident on last week's Lovecast made me so uncomfortable that poor and wild human, everyone, please, please be careful and smart about what you shove in you. And if you can't resist shoving, The little straw at the end of the spray foam insulation can into your urethra. Please remember to detach that spray straw from the can of insulation first. Needless to say, we got a lot of tweets about the spray foam insulation sounding incident. Whyaduck tweets, after this week's Savage Lovecast, I need to throw out any cans of spray foam insulation I may own just in case. Couldn't agree with you more, Wyaduck. And finally, Diana Edelman tweets, I'd bet money that Hump 2023 will have an inordinate number of ice fishing porn submissions. Please count them and give us a number when that time comes. Dan, hashtag Savage Lovecast, hashtag Hump Film Festival. Yeah, I hope. I hope we get tons of ice fishing porn submissions for next year's Hump Film Festival. And exactly zero, zero spray foam insulation porn submissions. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on next week's Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted to your social media this week about the show, to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and everywhere else. We really appreciate it. Helps get the word out about the show. And now, listener response calls.
0: Hey, Dan, longtime listener here. I'm calling in response to the female caller from episode 802 uh, with the small kids and the 32 year old kid that she is also taking care of. And she wanted to know whether she needed to leave him or not. I think your response was absolutely dead on. And I wanted to say, staying together for the kids is such bullshit. It's such bullshit. If you want, to see what this would look like on the other side of things. I actually am a child of divorce myself, and I'm happily married, but my husband's parents stayed together for their kids, and my husband suffered a lot more emotional distress because of that, whereas I saw my mother prioritize her happiness and her family and leave relationships that weren't right for her, and she taught me to do that as well. And so now, you know, I'm in a happy marriage because... I watched my mom prioritize that for herself. So you caring for yourself, your, your kids are going to see that. And if you don't care for yourself and you don't care for your partner, your kids are going to see that too. So don't model this as a relationship that your kids should stay in. And, you know, you deserve happiness. You deserve it. So, yeah, dump that motherfucker already.
9: Hi, Dan. This is in response to the woman who has subs coming to her home Everything you said was great. One thing that I do when my steps come over, my door opens inward, and I don't know if that's every door, but I tell them I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to stand behind the door. When you walk in, I want you to get on your knees, and I want you to close your eyes. And then they know that I'm going to put a blindfold. Sometimes I even have them get naked or strip to their underwear, Mm -hmm. then get on their knees, and then I put the blindfold on. Anyway, that seems to work for me. They love it. And as soon as they can't see me, but they can smell me and feel my touch, they go crazy. So it's a win-win for everyone.
2: Hey Dan, this is in response to the caller in episode 802 that was concerned about bringing up his kinks to his girlfriend. I understand his trepidation, but maybe he could um, begin the conversation by asking her if she has any kinks it may or may not work he could get a variety of responses ranging from ew to "Mm, that sounds interesting yes it is scary to bring this up but you know as they say nothing ventured nothing gained
3: and we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or a comment about the advice I gave on this week's show? Can you do better? Use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment, scathing or otherwise, and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The Hump 2022 opening festival wrapped up last weekend and the winners have been announced. Congrats to the ingredient principal, sucky situation, Matt's dildo, and animal style, and jury award went to monster dyke and now it's time for all those films and all the other films on this amazing hump program to hit the road the tour kicked off last week in albuquerque and olympia and this weekend hump is headed to eugene oregon at broadway metro and new orleans at the broad theater then we'll be taking Hump to over 30 cities throughout north america for the rest of the year Go to humpfilmfest.com today to check out all the stops on this year's Hump 2022 tour and get your tickets for a screening now. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Tim Miller on Twitter at TimODC. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week for in our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for telling me.